Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When most people hear the name Captain Morgan, it conjures up the image of a drunken, amiable pirate with a leg up on a cask of his namesake rum. But Sir Henry Morgan was all too real. He was, in short, the most successful pirate in history. But in 1671, Morgan steers his flagship, the Satisfaction, onto a razor-sharp reef off the coast of Panama, where it sinks and is lost for centuries. But now, there are reports that it may have been found. Recently, a team from Texas State University, led by underwater archaeologist Fritz Hanselman, located and raised six cannons that may be from Morgan's ship. Then, they made a truly shocking find. The remains of an entire 17th century vessel. But is it Morgan's? Inside the hull are nearly 100 unopened chests, just waiting to be brought to the surface. While I'd be lying if I said I didn't have visions of pirate treasure dancing in my head, I'm also hopeful to understand the man behind the rum label. Who was Morgan? Does he deserve to be remembered as a daring privateer or reviled as a bloodthirsty pirate? The answers, and perhaps his pirate ship, are waiting in the Caribbean. My name is Josh Gates. With a degree in archaeology and a passion for exploration, I have a tendency to end up in some very strange situations. There has got to be a better way to make a living. My travels have taken me to the ends of the earth as I investigate the greatest legends in history. We're good to fly. Let's go. This is Expedition Unknown. Panama. A sun-soaked sliver of land dividing the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. I touch down in the city of Cologne and pick up a used but heavily modified Jeep to begin my journey in search of Captain Morgan's flagship. It's like 30 feet off the ground. I'm literally going to need like a running start to get into this thing. 
I have not one, but two CBs for some reason. Check, check, check. Hello, hello. This is the greatest car I've ever been in. Even though this is a 340-year-old cold case, I'm still putting out an APB for my lead suspect. I'm looking for Captain Morgan's flagship. Has anybody seen the satisfaction? A minor programming note for those of you watching with young children, be advised that uh, tonight's program is rated R. Come on! A little pirate humor? Okay, now that I've got that out of my system, we can move on. As I make my way outside of town, I soon pass by the haunting remains of Spanish forts. To understand why they're here, we need to step back in time. Welcome to the 17th century. Spain is the most powerful country in the region, controlling nearly all of Central and Upper South America, Florida, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Spain's power is due in large measure to the seemingly limitless supplies of gold and silver which conquistadors are hauling out of Peru and Bolivia in South America. But in order to get these riches back to Spain, they need to get them into the Atlantic. Using slaves to march their riches to Panama, they establish a new world capital on the Pacific coast, Panama City. Then, mules bring the loot 52 miles from the Pacific to the Atlantic side, where it's loaded onto galleons in the town of Portobello, bound for Spain. This is Portobello. It was actually named by Columbus, who sailed in the bay here hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's a little tumble down today, but during the 17th century, this was one of the most critical cities for the Spanish, and it was the very first place that Captain Morgan decided to attack in Panama. Panama is a washing machine of cultures. The Congo dancers in the streets are the descendants of the Cimarrones, runaway slaves who won hard-fought freedom from their Spanish captors. It's part Afro-Panamanian religious revival and part village people reunion. Guy in a life preserver, dancing in the streets. Why not? But it's at the edge of town where Portobello reveals its once powerful defenses. So why did this sleepy port need to be armed to the teeth? One word, pirates. The 17th century is the golden age of pirates, and no man is more notorious than Captain Henry Morgan, flying under the flag of the English Royal Navy. Spain has a stranglehold on the Caribbean, but other European empires are hiring privateers like Morgan to weaken the Spanish through plunder and havoc. Captain Morgan's first attack on Panama took place here in Portobello. Historian Juan David Morgan has his own take on the legendary pirate. What's your impression of Morgan, the man, the real man? Since his early years, he wanted to become a man of the sea. Morgan was not a pirate, he was a privateer. And the difference between a privateer and a pirate is simply that someone is commissioning you to do this, exactly. right? Exactly. Just to be clear, privateers like Captain Morgan were awarded hefty commissions from the Crown for their life-risking work. A single seized enemy ship could earn each crew member a year's wages, or much, much more. But Morgan was not a good navigator, and that's why he sunk three boats. Right. It's amazing. We think of Morgan as this swashbuckling pirate out at sea, but really he wasn't much of a navigator. He was a commander over land. Morgan's assault on Portobello was successful because the Spanish never saw him coming. 
In July of 1666, he and his men landed three miles away and attacked Portobello on foot from behind. Morgan's next move was unexpected, brazen, and incredibly risky. He held the entire city hostage and threatened to burn it if the Spanish didn't pay him to leave. Infuriated but helpless, the governor of Panama City agreed to pay up, and in return, Morgan sailed out of the harbor a free and rich man. Morgan's attack on Portobello was audacious, but he was just getting warmed up. He didn't just want to aggravate the Spanish, he wanted to destroy them. To do that, he set his sights just down the coast on another Spanish fortress, known as San Lorenzo. And it's here that Morgan's ship might be lying in its watery grave. If I'm going to learn the truth about Morgan's flagship, I have to go find the people that are actively engaged in looking for it. I'm meeting with Fritz Hanselman and his team from Texas State, who are on the cutting edge of trying to find the satisfaction. So, 17th century, what's going on here? Why does this fort exist here? Well, this fort here is what protected and all the gold and silver that were coming from South America and the Pacific right. over to this side in the Caribbean, and then later on to Spain. So for the Spanish, pretty critical fort. Absolutely, and this is what was constructed to keep out guys like Henry Morgan. So when Morgan shows up here, what's his move? How does he get into this place? He sends three ships with 470 men to launch a terrestrial assault. So they cross this peninsula to the fort and they attack from the rear. Our flaming arrow went into the munition stockpile inside the fort and exploded it. So he got lucky. Then, yeah, he, I mean, true to the story of Morgan, he gets lucky in all sorts of different circumstances. Right, right. But his luck didn't last forever. That's when disaster strikes. And so Morgan ran his flagship, the Satisfaction, aground, and then four other ships followed suit. So they just kind of had a pile up on these rocks. Wow. Five of Morgan's vessels strike the Lajas Reef, and while he manages to escape, the ships all sink. You can see the reef right here. Right down here where those white caps are. Exactly. Uh -huh. That's the reef where Morgan and the ships ran aground. So the big question is, where did they end up? They already recovered a wooden chest and a sword blade. Their recent discovery of several cannons was a turning point in recent investigations. And what's the general hypothesis now of the cannons? We believe that they're Henry Morgan's. We've got three that look to be English. There are markings on them to indicate that they are mid to late 17th century. Near the cannons, the archaeologists also noticed wooden timbers. And we realized, it looks like what we have is a piece of ship hull, and there's chests in the ship hull. And so, you know, of course, we're ecstatic. Ecstatic is an understatement. His team found dozens of possible treasure chests, but they're fragile, badly overgrown, and have yet to be analyzed. And with so many wrecks in the bay, they can't be sure they have the right boat. I'm thrilled that Fritz has invited me to join his convoy through the rainforest and down to the beach to continue their search. But before we can get there, we hit a roadblock. Literally. That's a big tree. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping 
and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm in Panama, where I've joined a team of archaeologists on the search for the sunken flagship of legendary pirate Captain Morgan. We're about to dive into the waters where the ship went down. But before we can get there, we run into a minor roadblock. That's a big tree. Okay, major roadblock. There's not exactly an alternate route, so the only thing we can do is dismantle this enormous tree one hack at a time. This happens a lot here, apparently. Trees are already really saturated, it's really humid, it rains. Part of the jungle just falls into the road. It may take a little while to clear. Unfortunately, we don't exactly have the best tools for the job. Have this thing done in no time. Finally, some reinforcements arrive on the scene. Ah! Ants! A lot of very bitey ants in here as well. What am I doing? I have a huge Jeep with giant tires. Once we've cleared the road, it's a short drive to the Chagres River, just below Fort San Lorenzo. I'm hoping to explore the intriguing wreck where the cannons were recovered. But first, I want to see where Captain Morgan's ship ran aground. So the reef was right there. So he was coming in toward the fort and just smashed it right up on the reef. Yep. Okay, what's our first move, Fritz? First thing we got to do is survey the seafloor. That's the reef where Morgan lost the ships. There's got to be something down there. Unfortunately, scores of ships have wrecked here, and the swirling currents could have carried the satisfaction nearly anywhere along the coast. But the team has a high-tech tool to narrow down their search. This is a magnetometer. It detects the ambient magnetic field of the Earth, and anything that would cause any deviations to that, anything ferrous, anything iron, it will detect. Unfortunately, I'm only semi-fluent in nerd speak. All right, I'm following about 10% of what you're saying, but basically, <laughs> I think what we're saying here is we throw this torpedo in the water. And it'll detect iron. So, in other words, a great way to detect shipwrecks. Yes. That I can follow. <laughs> now you're talking my language. And then back through this cable, it feeds to a laptop here? Yep, this 
thing is just collecting the raw data and we'll just go back and forth and get the coverage in the entire reef area and hopefully those iron objects will pop up. Am I like never gonna have kids right now? Is this, I'm got no. this right in my crotch. <laughs> Let's get this thing in the water. High levels of iron on the sea floor can indicate debris from a wrecked ship. While Fritz's team has already discovered one wreck, it may not be the satisfaction, and they're still looking for other promising leads. With the real-time GPS, it is tracking where we're moving, right. where that little bird right there, and we're right. just going to mow the lawn on these grid lines. Back and forth, back and forth. Yep. And where's the reef on here? The reef is right here, right in front of us. And we're going to try to not smash into that. Exactly. That's the most important part of the survey. Pretty much, yes. Okay. Are there other boats that you know of that have sank here? Yeah, absolutely. We have between 20 and 30 wrecks that we know of that have been recorded having wrecked in this area. That makes it a lot more complicated. It does, especially with all the modern debris and whatnot. It's like looking for a needle in a haystack sometimes. After dozens of passes with the magnetometer and only discrete readings on the receiver, we're on the verge of calling it quits. We've decided to make one last pass along the edge of the reef before moving on. Whoa, whoa what's that? Well, Fritz, what is that right wow, there? That's a, that's a big hit. That's a pretty good spike, though. It's probably well over a thousand gammas. Some serious iron objects down there, so we need to go check that out. All right, great. Yeah. Let's yeah. go dive. A reading of this size could signify a shipwreck. Fritz and I quickly throw on our dive gear to investigate. Visibility doesn't look very good, but we are descending down toward the bottom. Diving in murky conditions in an area with a history of shark attacks is slightly unsettling. But it turns out that visions of lost pirate treasure are a pretty decent motivator. We're at the bottom and we're heading toward the anomaly that we recorded from the mag. We've reached the bottom but haven't found the source of the hit on the magnetometer. Fritz and I fan out and continue looking. Yeah, we don't seem to be picking anything up. Whatever we saw from the boat, we're not seeing down here. We canvass the area and are about to abort the dive operation when... Whoa, we got a wreck down here, Fritz. Big wreck. Finally, the source of the hit on the magnetometer. And it's exactly what we're looking for. A massive shipwreck. We're looking at the mast here. Seeing this wreck is a huge rush. But now we need to determine if this is a boat from Captain Morgan's fleet or some other historic shipwreck. This appears to be a huge boiler system. Obviously, this is not Captain Morgan's technology. Pretty cool. It's a massive shipwreck in any event. This type of modern boiler wasn't in use until hundreds of years after Morgan sailed the high seas. With our tanks running low, we ascend to the surface to replenish our air. Wow, that is amazing. A ton of debris down there, stuff all over the place. And mention led us to huge wreck, but definitely not a pirate ship. So the search continues. Fritz's team recently discovered another wreck that could be Captain Morgan's ship. As the seas get rougher, we hurry to the site, and I'm beginning to understand why so many boats have sunk here. We're descending now. Visibility is very bad. It's just small pieces of rock and debris here. Let's just keep exploring around and see if we can find something else. 
There's a pirate ship down here somewhere. We cautiously move forward in the haze when suddenly an amazing sight comes into view. Nestled on the bottom is an honest-to-God 17th century wooden chest. And nearby, there are more. Lots more. It's just rows and rows of chests here. It's absolutely unbelievable to be looking at wooden chests from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It's crazy. So amazing. What do you think is inside it? Well, we don't know. That's why we want to take a look and x-ray the ones we recovered. Over time, the wooden containers have become encrusted and are impossible to open without destroying them. Fritz's team has already moved one chest to Panama City, where it awaits analysis. Until this boat is identified, the rest must remain on the bottom to be preserved, so we've got to comb the wreck for other artifacts. We've got something over here. We've definitely got something here. I've traveled to Panama on a mission to find the Satisfaction, the sunken flagship of legendary pirate Captain Morgan. Whoa, Fritz, what is that? Right wow, there. That's a, that's a big hit. I've joined a team of archaeologists who found a wreck that might just fit the bill. It's just and I think we've made another discovery. Alongside the mule shoe, we've also found a heavily encrusted metal fragment that we can't yet identify. If you look close, you can see the planking underneath this, this Along with these finds, I'm stunned to see actual planks of wood from the hull of the ship. That this is still so well preserved after more than 300 years is nothing short of astonishing. Okay, Josh, if you can stop mapping into this timber here. I'm also getting a crash course in doing field work on the ocean floor. We deploy underwater metal detectors to scan the area, and I even try my hand at mapping the wreck. Prince, what do you think that is? <laughs> Ceramic sherds like this are often key to decoding archaeological wrecks. Let's get this stuff up to the surface. Despite the challenging conditions, it was a successful dive. The mule shoe, ceramic sherd, and the metal fragment could provide valuable information on dating the shipwreck and determining its origin. That's great. Nice sight, huh? Oh, amazing. Fritz and his team will transport the incredibly fragile relics to their lab in Panama City. We'll analyze them along with their other recent finds. Meanwhile, I'm continuing my quest to understand Morgan. Having survived his shipwreck, he carried on up the Chagres River toward Panama City. And I'm following his route. I'm headed to meet a group of Embera Indians, a tribe native to this region. So this is the Chagres River. This is kind of the original Panama Canal. 
If you were trying to get goods either from Panama City out to the coast or trying to get inland, this is the river that you used. So Morgan, after he loses his ship, puts together the largest pirate army ever assembled, 1,500 men, and he goes down this river toward Panama City. Along the banks, just these impenetrable rainforests and howler monkeys and native tribes, small groups of Spanish attacking them. This would have been a really intense and difficult journey for him. While Spain methodically exploited and enslaved the native people in the Americas, there are very few reports as to how Captain Morgan fared against them. According to accounts of the journey, Morgan ordered his men to make the trip with very few supplies, believing he could steal whatever food or water they needed along the way. Over 300 years later, I'm curious to learn if Captain Morgan's legacy lives on in native lore. These are the Embera one of several indigenous tribes that have roamed Central America since time immemorial. Hola. Hola. Nice to meet you. Hola. ¿Cuál es tu nombre? Claudio. Claudio. Josh. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Look at this. Wow. What a welcome. Thank you very much. As the welcome party turns into a full-blown dance party, perhaps I'm getting more than I bargained for. And, and what does the dance signify? The marriage. Marriage. Am I getting married right now? Yes. Yeah, all right. Well, it's a nice spot, I guess. Settle down. It's using that when we have a big home, when it's new, we celebrate this music for that. Got it. Hola. Hi. I guess this is my family now. If this were three centuries ago, it's likely that I wouldn't have survived getting out of the boat. Considering the atrocities committed to Panama's indigenous peoples, the Embera's hospitality is overwhelming. In a nearby hut, I sit down with a village elder and his son. Thank you very much for having me here today. I really appreciate your hospitality. Yep. After he wrecked his ship, Captain Morgan passed through here on the Chagres River to Panama City. How do you look back on Morgan? <laughs> We have many problems with the captain. The Embra try no no see the Morgan like a friend or something. They is like the enemy. As an enemy. Yes. No, no different than the Spanish. No different to the Spanish. Captain Morgan's plan of stealing supplies from the native Indians backfired. Not only were they able to flee their villages before the pirates arrived, they bettered them in combat. Between the natives and small garrisons of Spanish soldiers, more than a hundred of Morgan's men died en route to Panama City. Today, I'm thrilled to see that long after the Spanish Empire is gone, tribes like the Embera endure. They even have a tattoo parlor. Before leaving, they insist on giving me something to remember my visit. I'm hoping this guy does lower back tattoos as well. I'm thinking about getting a, maybe a dolphin back there. Back on the Chagres River, I continue retracing Morgan's path to Panama City. In 1671, it took his crew more than 10 days to cross from the Atlantic to the Pacific side. While I'd like to stay true to the captain's journey, I need to pick up the pace a bit. After all, I've got a pirate treasure chest and other artifacts waiting to be analyzed in Panama City. The results could prove once and for all if Captain Morgan's lost ship has finally been found. I'm in Panama, retracing Captain Morgan's journey across the country on his mission to ransack Panama City. 
I was following his trail by canoe up the Chagres River, but I think it's time to pick up the pace in a slightly faster vehicle that covers the same route. Welcome aboard the famed Panama Canal Railway. While the Chagres River may have been the original transportation system, this historic rail line was the backbone that helped build modern Panama. The train basically slices across the Isthmus of Panama. It's pretty incredible. You start in the Caribbean on the Atlantic side. This takes us all the way across over to Panama City and the Pacific. It's a breathtaking ride and a great place to pick up a little part-time work. I'm now the bartender. Get my tip jar out here. Hot coffee, folks, hot coffee. Is there any booze back here? Having retraced Captain Morgan's route across the isthmus, Panama City comes into view. And it's absolutely stunning. Forget whatever image you have of the so-called developing world, Panama City is the shining star of Central America. This steamy, tropical boomtown is crawling with foreign investors, expat fortune seekers, and cranes, reshaping a futuristic skyline that seems to grow before your eyes. Welcome to Panama. Gracias. Sir, are you available to travel with me all the time? How is it that Panama is richer than every other Central American nation put together? Simple. They have a canal. Okay, let's see if I can uh, steer this thing through. Hello, come in. I think I may have just broken the Panama Canal. Thankfully, I'm only maneuvering a cargo ship through a simulator. Uh, we're, we're, we're all fine here. We're all fine. How are you? Welcome to the Miraflores locks of the Panama Canal. This modern marvel is a jaw-dropping testament to human spirit and ingenuity. This is the Pacific Ocean, over there is the Atlantic Ocean. As ships come into these locks, they get closed in, they flood the locks, raising the ships up more than 50 feet. This gate that we're standing on then opens, ship passes into the next lock and into the next ocean. Crazy. In 1902, the U.S. began construction on the most audacious engineering project in human history. 20,000 French and 6,000 American workers died trying to rejoin the two great oceans of the world forever changing international trade. Boats that once had to sail around the treacherous tip of South America in the era of Captain Morgan could suddenly take an 8,000-mile shortcut through the heart of two continents. Trophy case, obviously. This thing wins Best Canal every year. From the Miraflores locks, it's a short trip to Panama City. The nation's capital is booming thanks to the canal. In the shadow of opulent modern skyscrapers sits Casco Viejo, the historic district of Panama City. It's a tumble-down maze of colonial facades and cobblestone streets that's still brimming with activity. Kids got stuff to do, places to be. Street vendors peddle regional crafts and surprising hidden treasures. Found it. It was right here the whole time. A lot smaller than I thought. Episode over. When visiting Panama, it's an obligation to pick up one of the country's signature Panama hats. However, finding the right fit can take a little time. I'm realizing I have a huge head. 
Hola. Hola. ¿Cómo estás? Oh, there we go. ¿Cuánto cuesta? Seven. Seven hundred. This is a seven hundred dollar hat. Why is it so? Is it made out of unicorn hair? Since my salary won't cover a hat that costs as much as a flat screen TV, I opt for a more affordable choice. Oh yeah, that's it right there. That's the one. I could pull this off. I think. It looks like Hannibal Lecter, but. Walking through town, it's hard to not be struck by the intersection of Panama's past and future. Though Casco Viejo looks ancient, it's actually new compared to the original city, of which there is almost nothing left. This is the final chapter of Morgan's brazen raid on Panama. When he reached the metropolis in 1670, his dwindling, half-starved army actually managed to overrun the Spanish on their home turf. In the aftermath, the entire city burned to the ground. Some accounts blame Morgan for setting the city ablaze, while others believe the retreating Spanish were accountable. Either way, this is all that's left. One lone church tower is the last building standing from the original Panama City. Here, I'm meeting with Tomás Mendiazabal, director of Panama's Anthropology Museum, to hear the brutal truth about Captain Morgan's final raid on Panama and his lasting legacy for Panamanians. So this is the original Panama City? Yeah, exactly. Not a lot left? No, no. What you see is what Morgan left after, after the attack. We have this image of him as this kind of mythic figure, this larger-than-life kind of swashbuckling guy. His image in the U.S. is so ridiculous. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're are like, so cool. They're, they're awesome. so cool, and he's like such a player, <laughs> and he's like this good-time frat boy. <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the local viewpoint on him here? In Panama, everybody knows Morgan. Pirata Morgan, Pirata Morgan, yeah. he's, he's everywhere. But a villain. For sure, yeah. I mean, this attack caused a lot of death and destruction, so yeah, for sure he's a villain. Between three and 4,000 people actually died. They tortured a ton of people, just asking them for their gold, squeezing somebody's head till their eyes popped out because he wouldn't say where his treasure was. If you were a woman, that was even worse. That kind of detail were widely known. I think his image would be less that of a rock star. The Spanish despised Morgan for the destruction of Panama. But even though his success was born through extreme terror and violence, to the English, he was a hero. They even knighted him and made him lieutenant governor of Jamaica, where he died fat, rich, and in his own bed. Almost unheard of for a pirate. With a better understanding of Morgan's controversial legacy, I head to the National Institute of Culture back in the city to reunite with archaeologist Fritz Hanselman. His team has been working to prepare the artifacts from the shipwreck for analysis. Asinto. ¿Qué tal? ¿Cómo estás? Bienvenido a Panamá. Ah, gracias, gracias, gracias. Jacinto es essentially the godfather of archaeological artifacts here in, in this country. Mucho gusto. El placer es mío. Well, let's take a look at all the other stuff we've got. Along with the items we pulled up from the wreck, he's got some amazing evidence to share with me. This is really cool. Look at that. Whoa. That's amazing. I'm at the National Institute of Culture in Panama City to examine the wealth of relics found by Fritz and his team. This is really cool. Look at that, whoa, that's amazing. That's a pirate cannon right there. This is one of the guns that we recovered from the reef where Morgan uh, ran his ships aground. 
We have six guns all together. Some look to be English and some look to be French. But if these were in the same spot, most likely they came from the same vessel or vessels. So these are the first tangible evidence of Morgan's attack on Panama in 1671. It's amazing. Along with the cannons, Fritz's team has been preparing the items recovered during our dive. These are the artifacts that we recovered the other day from the shipwreck. So here we have our mule shoe, and here we have the ceramic shirt with the neck rim of the jar. And this, we don't quite know what it is yet. This concretion could be a spike. It could be some sort of weird conglomerate of metal. Along with these incredible pieces is the locked chest salvaged during an earlier dive. This I recognize because we saw a whole bunch of them down on the ocean floor the other day. I wanted to scoop them up. There are how many of them left on the boat, we think? Uh, we have over 100 chests still on that ship. And this has never been scanned. We don't know what's in this. We don't know what's in this, and we want to see if we can tell what's in it without causing any damage. With an x-ray machine lined up, all we have to do is figure out how to get our back-breakingly heavy 300-year-old cargo to the facility. Whew, man, that is funky. <laughs> it smells like pirates, for sure. Yeah. After years at the bottom of the sea, these relics have become incredibly fragile. Exposure to air or drying out can irreparably damage these priceless artifacts. Good. Nothing to see here. Just a couple guys with a 300-year-old treasure chest. Where do I try to check this thing with United Airlines? Good. Stop, stop, stop. Oh my God, somebody get me a beer. With our booty in tow, we're on our way with our unusual payload. All right, so the plan now, well, straight to the airport, <laughs> crack the chest open to the Bahamas. I wish. What will you say to the police officer if we get pulled over and he looks in the back? Would you like a cut? <laughs> Spoken like a true pirate. Okay, here we go. Having never attempted this procedure before, the archaeological team has no idea what to expect. What we're trying to do is take the x-ray that works for the human body and adapt it and make it work for archaeological artifacts. Right. First, we'll analyze the items we found on our dive, the mule shoe and the strange encrusted item. I feel like we're having a baby, Fritz. <laughs> Please be a pirate. Please be a pirate. <laughs> Eureka! The x-ray proves effective in cutting through hundreds of years of built-up coral and corrosion. You can see the holes where they nail it into the hoof. That's amazing. Looks like they're countersunk. Countersinking is a process where pre-cut holes allow nails and screws to sit flush with the surface. In this case, the technique might help identify who made the artifact. How do you tell that they're countersunk? Well, you can kind of see a little bit of shadowing around the edges of the square for each of the various holes, which is uh, typical of the Spanish uh, mule shoes or horseshoes. British tend not to be countersunk. The encrusted fragment also reveals its identity. This could be a piece of a sword that's in a scabbard or, or wrapped up in something. It's really cool, though. I mean, you cut through all those concretions and there's just like a blade under there. Chest time? I want to get at that chest. Yeah. <laughs> Gently. This thing's too heavy to not have some part There's of something, something in it, dude. Finally, it's time to scan the chest the team salvaged from the shipwreck. The contents of this container could reveal once and for all if we found the satisfaction. As we place the chest on the x-ray, my mind is racing, thinking about the mysteries that could be revealed.
Ah, cut a hole. Not much. We see the outline of it, but it doesn't really penetrate the chest at all. No. Oh, that's it's a little bit of the surface. What does he think the problem is? It's too thick. It's the density of the material. Hmm. Huh? It's too dense. Frustratingly, the chest and its contents are too dense for the X-ray to penetrate. These are the breaks when it comes to the slow and careful process of archaeological preservation. But at least the other artifacts we were able to get a really good look at. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of data here. Next step is to take that info and try and figure out how to make sense of it. Finding the well-preserved cargo from a 17th century vessel is nothing short of amazing. But have we gathered enough information from these artifacts to determine whether or not they're from the satisfaction? After careful examination, I've asked Fritz to give me his expert analysis. The satisfaction was a French ship. Mm -hmm. So in, in looking at this wreck, what do the photos, the artifacts, the x-rays, what do they tell us about the origin of this vessel? Looking at that neck shirt, basically we're looking at a Spanish olive jar. Basically the Tupperware or the water bottle of 16th to 18th century Spanish. So we're in the right time period, but a Spanish type of ceramic, not French. Exactly. Artifact number two is the mule shoe that we recovered when we were on our dive. Right. These are countersunk, and that's a technique that only the Spanish used. The English didn't use it, French didn't use it. And so, again, we have another artifact that we've recovered from the wreck that's, that's Spanish in origin. Okay. Also significant as what we are seeing is what we aren't seeing. We know the satisfaction was 120 tons, and it also carried 22 guns. And honestly, we aren't seeing any guns anywhere on this shipwreck. The only weapon we have are the, the few sword blades. Because the cannons which were recovered were taken from the reef, but not found near the wreck. Exactly. The million dollar question then, is this the satisfaction? I can answer that in one word, no. But that's not the end of the story. In looking over all the evidence, we have made what is an extremely exciting discovery. That's actually the manifest of a ship called Nuestra Señora de Encarnación. A lot of the chests match up to what we're seeing in the document. And it sank just off of the Chagres River in the general area of where the shipwreck is. The Encarnacion was the same kind of vessel that Christopher Columbus used when he first sailed over to the Western Hemisphere. That's amazing. Fritz's analysis is that this shipwreck appears to be the Encarnacion and not part of Morgan's fleet. However, that does little to diminish the significance of this incredible find. This pristine 17th century shipwreck may be the single best preserved vessel of its kind ever found. In addition, it offers a glimpse into the world of Captain Morgan. But the question remains, where is the satisfaction? We know the reef that the boat wrecked on. There's a record of the boat wrecking. It has to be there. Yeah, absolutely. It just feels like it is so within reach. The ships are out there. I'm sure we're going to find it eventually. Thanks, Fritz. Yeah, thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. Morgan was a complex man living in an unforgiving age. To some, he's a hero, a rum-guzzling renegade who lived by his own terms. To others, he is an unrepentant killer, motivated by insatiable bloodlust and greed. Perhaps he was both. The stage for his exploits is a country with its own mysterious duality, at the crossroads of oceans and continents, and at the forefront of a brilliant economic future. Speaking of the future, Fritz Hanselman and his team have over a hundred other potential wrecks to investigate off the coast. And it's only a matter of time before Morgan's ship is found. 
and perhaps it's fitting that the boat has remained elusive. The satisfaction is, after all, its own buried treasure. It will take determination, daring, and more than a little luck to find a boat belonging to someone as shrouded in mystery as the pirate Captain Henry Morgan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.